Welcome to episode 2 of the Premier League show, part of the Premiership Radio Podcast. I'm Graham, and we're back for our second week of coverage of the week that was in the Premier League. Nine games to cover on this week's show. Sadly, we can't cover the Newcastle game because that's not kicking off until Monday. And of course, we're going to miss the Derby as well. I'll be able to cover both of those games next week because it's FA Cup week, so Premier League show is going to have to... Um, Change format slightly to cover the cup games and the league matches that we missed this week, so that's what you can look forward to. Right, so nine games we're covering. Got Bolton against QPR, Aston Villa against Fulham, Chelsea Stoke, Sunderland Liverpool, Wolves Blackburn, Everton Tottenham, Man United West Brom, Swansea Man City, and Norwich Wigan. And after that, we'll be looking at the league table and how it's been affected by this weekend's results. Well, we always have to start somewhere, and that starting point this week is going to be the Reef Stadium. Bolton took on Queen's Park Rangers. Queen's Park Rangers is what I was meant to say there. Okay, so, QPR boss Mark Hughes was left seething as his team would deny the clear goal before Ivan Klasnic's late strike in Bolton, a vital victory. QPR... I say? QPR should have had a first-half lead, but Clint Hill's header was not awarded despite clearly crossing the line. Bolton took the lead through Darren Platley's header before GB Rossise equalised from close range, although replays showed that he was offside. But late on, Klasnic latched on to Rio Miriachi's pass to beat Paddy Kenny. The result means the QPR are now in the relegation zone following Blackburn's 2-0 victory with Hughes's side level on points with Wolves below them. Um, and with games against Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United, Tottenham, Chelsea and Man City to come, Hughes will fear for his side's chances of survival. They did enough to win this game and were the better of the two sides, but if they're relegated, many see Hill's disallowed header as a pivotal moment. With the scores level at 0-0, Hill's header would have shifted the momentum QPR's way, but instead it gave Bolton a lifeline. For Bolton, this result was their first win in five, and could also prove crucial in their attempts to beat the drop, with Owen Coyle's side now one point above the relegation zone. Just two points separated these two teams at the start of play, and the first half was evenly balanced. Bolton had the first real chance of the game with David Wheater's header from Miriachi's corner headed off the line by Bobby, by Bobby Zamora. Blech. Soon afterwards, Zamora was in action at the other end, crashing a half volley for a tight angle against the crossbar following a floated pass from fellow striker Cissé. The controversial incident arrived 20 minutes into the game when Hill was denied a goal with his header from Joey Barton's corner clearly crossed the line before goalkeeper Adam Bogdan palmed it onto the underside of the crossbar. However, with assistant referee unsighted and referee Martin Atkinson unsure, Hill was denied his first Premier League goal on his 400th career start. The incident reopened the debate on the use of video of football matches and prompted a statement from the FA reiterating their desire for the introduction of goal line technology. It was a huge blow for QPR and proved the pivotal moments in the half of Prattley putting Bolton ahead shortly afterwards. He headed past Kelly. Kenny rather from six yards out following an accurate cross by Tim Ream on the left although Hughes would have been far from impressed with the non-existent marking Rangers had a chance to level just before the break but after being played in by Cissé Ned them all away I don't know if I pronounced that wrong don't hold that against me played against the legs of keeper Bogdan it didn't take long for Hughes' side to equalise after half-time as Sean Wright Phillips' deflected pass round Cissé's run with the striker keeping his call to fire low past Bogdan. However, replays showed that the French international was offside. Of the two sides, QPR looked the more likely to win it with late pressure seeing substitute Jamie Mackey's shot hit the side of Wheater's head and go out for a corner. 
As the game looked to be heading for a draw, Klasnitz found space in the box and was played in by Miriachi before firing a low shot across Kenny into the net. It prompted huge celebrations on the final whistle at the Reebok Stadium while Hughes made his feelings known to the officials. Um, so far as the, uh, the main speaking point, it's obviously going to be that incident and it was blatantly a goal. In fact, this is still on the BBC website that shows that the ball is blatantly well over the line, well past the post and the goalie's hands are well behind the line. In fact, it's beyond me really how the linesman didn't spot that. So, excuse me, uh, QPR should feel very harshly done by there. As for what it's done to the table for both sides, well, it was a crucial relegation match. Uh, The points lift Bolton out of the bottom three at QPR's expense, so Mark Hughes will definitely be seething with that one. And obviously QPR has some very, very tricky fixtures coming up. So, best of luck to QPR. Okay, so now we're heading to Villa Park. Uh, Aston Villa took on Fulham. And Andreas Wyman's first Premier League goal earned Aston Villa a last gasp winner against informed Fulham and ended the home side's poor run at Villa Park. Villa had dominated the first half with Gabriel Bonglehawk going closest. Mark Albrighton struck the bar from the host early on in the second half, then Damian Duff hit the post for Fulham. Villa won it in injury time when Fulham keeper Mark Swartzer failed to hold the line for a Gary Gardner shot and the Australian bundled the follow-up over the line. The Villa crowd had been growing frustrated before that moment of relief as their team looked on course for an eighth game without a win at Villa Park, which would have been their longest barren spell in 91 years. There were some boos when Charles and Zobby were taken off in, with 19 minutes to play, so manager Alex McLeish will have been delighted that the man he brought on scored the winner. Fans' frustrations have been affecting performances according to forward Abonglahor, but they were ecstatic at full time as their side finally made the breakthrough, having probed for long periods without showing a cutting edge through Swartzer. Sorry, though Swartzer should have done better than push the ball straight back at Wyman. The result for Villa was all the more impressive considering the run the Fulham have been on. They've taken 16 points from their last 8 games and came into this match on the back of a 5-0 win over Wolves thanks to a Pavel Progne back hat-trick. The Cottagers have won three games in a row, with Prognibach's five goals in his first three matches in England being the key factor, where he was quiet as the visitors looked below their best despite improving in the second half. Recent form had no bearing on the early stages, however, as out-of-form Villa dominated. They appeared full of confidence, with Sylvian Petrov's, Stylian Petrov's rather, shooting from distance repeatedly in the early stages. Albrighton set up in Zobbia, who shot wide from 15 yards, then had a chance himself, but headed straight over, so he headed straight at Swarter. Fulham couldn't keep hold of possession, and when Danny Murphy gave the ball away sloppily, a Bonglehor charged through and forced a good save from the Australian keeper. Next was James Collins' turn to miss the chance, shooting wide from 8 yards. It was typical Villa of recent times, failing to turn pressure into goals. Fulham's Murphy was angered when blood started pouring down his face after he was struck accidentally by Stephen Ireland, but the rest of the first half was low-key. Duff single-handedly enlivened the visitors after the break, firing in a series of tees and crosses. Both teams were getting closer, and the woodwork was struck at either end. Albrighton was first to do so, rattling the bar from 16 yards after Ireland's cut back from the right. Duff then hit the near post from 10 yards after being played in by John Arnerisa. The game looked to be fizzling out in the latter stages until Gardner, who'd come on seconds earlier, took a long-range shot, which led to Wyman pinching the points in dramatic fashion. After the match, Alex McLeish said, The dugout can be a very tense place to be. The fans' expectations are massive. The more you lose and don't win, the fans are going to get on your back. 
I ran past a visiting dugout when we scored. I didn't mean any offence to Martin Yol, it was just a reaction, more of relief than anything else. We have a good see- sorry, we have a good feeling about Vyman. I've seen the coaches beforehand that we had to get him into the game. Martin Yol said, We wanted a victory and I feel bad. No nil would have been a good result, but we could have nicked it. We should have scored a goal, but we didn't. One or two mistakes can cost you and that's what's happened. So um was scrappy but Villa just about managed to uh, come out with the spoils there. As for the result as for the effects on the table rather, Aston Villa remain where they are in fifteenth from thirty three points, still uh, clear of the bottom five, which seems to be the danger zone at the moment. Um as for Fulham, well it knocked them back a bit, especially with the result from Goodison Park. Uh, but we'll get more into that a bit later on. Before that, though, we're going to London, where Chelsea took on Stoke. Didier Drogba assured, assured finish, rather, in Chelsea, a narrow victory over 10-man Stoke in Roberto Di Matteo's first Premier League game in charge. Stoke played most of the game with 10 men after Ricardo Fuller was shown a straight red for a stamp on, Braz- on Branislav Ivanovic. Chelsea hit the bar twice, but had to be patient against the dog Stoke side. But Drogba eventually made the breakthrough. Randy Gasmier-Bergevic to record his 100th Premier League goal. The best club managers in world football have been linked with the Chelsea vacancy following Andre Villas-Boas' sacking. And while it is perhaps inevitable that the likes of Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho are comforted by Blues owner Roman Abramovich, Chelsea will first need to secure Champions League football under Di Matteo to attract the coaches they crave. This win takes them level on 49 points with 4th place Arsenal, having played one game more. The Italian gave the old guard a vote of confidence by including Frank Lampard, Solomon Kalou and Didier Drogba in the starting lineup. Captain John Terry and Ashley Cole also returned to a Chelsea side with an average age of 28.5. Chelsea fired a couple of early warning signs with Ivanovic heading over Lampard's corner before Gary Cahill forced a diving save from Bergovic after a purposeful run and shot from the edge of the box. Stoke fashioned only one clear chance during the first half in which they were second, sorry, in which they were second best. But after Teddy lost his footing and allowed Jonathan Walters a clear run at goal, Cahill got across to make a diving block. Stoke, who've not won a Stamford Bridge in the league since a 1-0 victory in April 1974, made their task a lot harder when Fuller was shown a straight red for an unnecessary stamp on Ivanovic, leaving referee Andre Mariner with no choice but to dismiss the striker. Chelsea were positive throughout and hit the woodwork twice before half-time, with Teddy's header grazing the crossbar before Ivanovic pounced on a poor header clearance by Robert Hoof to hammer a shot against the bar. Stoke were disciplined and determined throughout, and even after the introductions of Juan Mata and David Luiz, the Potters repelled wave after wave of Chelsea attack, with Bergovic doing well to keep out Drogba's goal-bound free-kick. Teddy fired a low shot a whisker-wide moments later, but Chelsea finally prevented the, sorry, penetrated the Stoke defence, and they came courtesy of another Stamford Bridge stalwart. Latching on to Mata's through ball 12 yards out, Drogba kept his head to poke the ball around Bergovic and struck and stroke into the empty net, becoming the first African player to reach the milestone of 100 Premier League goals. Stoke, re- sorry, Stoke replied with a short period of pressure, but the best of his muster was an effort from the halfway line by Andy Wilkinson that almost caught out Petra Cech, a speculative effort from Cameron Jerome who could only thump a shot into the advertising hordens despite being one-on-one with Cahill. But Cahill and Teddy... Playing together for the first time for Chelsea were commanding at the back and Stoke rarely threatened. Mata could have made the win certain but his beautifully struck free kick hit the post before substitute Daniel Sturridge shot just wide after cutting him from the right. 
Chelsea dominated the game, and while Abramovich was not at Stamford Bridge for this match, the Russian was hoping Di Matteo can replicate Goose Hiddink's achievement in 2009 by steering the club towards a late-season flourish. One which hit me because it meant that they won the FA Cup at Everton's expense. But that's another story for another time. By the way, for those of you wondering, the uh, rest of the top scoring African players in the Premier League, Didier Drogba's top of 100. Second place is Yakubu for Blackburn on 99. That includes spells of Portsmouth, Middlesbrough and Everton. Emmanuel Adebayor is third with 72. Carnu, um, the um, Arsenal favourite, is fourth on 54. And Efe Nikoku is in fifth with 53. Alright then, so, so far as that result goes on the table, doesn't really do much. Chelsea remain in fifth. Um, Stoke, however, dropped down to 13th after the rest of the weekend's results. Okay, so we'll move on to the Stadium of Light, Sunderland against Liverpool. Liverpool's faltering league form continued as they were beaten by a determined and dog Sunderland side. After a forgettable first half, the Black Cats took the lead when Fraser Campbell's shot rebounded off the post and keeper Pepe Reina's head before Nicholas Bentner's side footed it in. Liverpool brought on Steven Gerrard and Andy Carroll, but to no avail. Sunderland sat back and protected their lead against a red side, which failed to come close to an equaliser. Liverpool may have won the Carlin Cup two weeks ago, but a top four place in Champions League football seems far from their grasp after just one league win from their last eight outings. The gap between the Merseysiders in seventh place and fourth place Arsenal is now ten points, while they're eight points closer to the bottom of the table than they are the top. The victory moved Sunderland two points behind Liverpool and ended a run of one point from nine games going into the game. Sunderland's pressure and positional discipline proved a tough challenge for the red side that rarely produced a guile and invention to show that they were capable of breaking down their hosts. Instead, Liverpool were drawn into a fractious affair against the Black Cats team, which refused to allow them to get into any type of stride. Both goalkeepers were hardly in action before Sunderland's stopper Simon Mignolet was eventually tested. Belgian spread himself to block an acute-angled shot from Liverpool forward Luis Suarez before palming over an in-swinging Charlie Adam free-kick. The defining moment of the match was then provided by Sunderland when Bentner scored the winner typical of the bizarre nature of goals that seems to mark fixtures between these two sides. Sunderland won at the stadium at like two seasons ago courtesy of a goal from Darren Bent that bounced off a beach ball, while Liverpool defeated Sunderland when they pounced on a free-kick by Michael Turner, which the defender said he had not taken in September 2010. This time round, Bentner seized his chance after Fraser Campbell's shot had hit the post, rebounded onto Reina's head and then back onto the post before falling for the Sunderland striker to score. The goal gave the home side something to protect, and despite missing key players Lee Catamol, Stefan Sessegnon and Kieran Richardson, they managed to hold out. The closest Liverpool came to an unlikely equaliser was when Jard hooked a cross back into the Sunderland box and dare count missed his header. So comments from the managers, Martin O'Neill said... In a game of very few chances, it was great to get the goal, and it eventually proved the winning goal in the match. With the changes that we had to make with the influential players out of the team, I couldn't really have asked for much more. It was a great effort by the team. Kenny Dalglish said, We will say what we said at the very first game of the season. We will play all the matches, count the points up, and see where we finish then. If we can maybe get fourth spot, it would be fantastic for the football club, but winning the Carlin Cup was fantastic. Getting into the sixth round of the FA Cup is more than where we have been for a little while. I don't think the performances that we've had, especially at home, have merited the number of points we've got. But we just need to keep going and do what we do best. Keep our mouths shut, not feel sorry for ourselves, and try to get as many points on the board as we can. <sighs> right, okay, um... Yeah, you can tell I hate having to talk about Darglish. But, 
I'm trying to be partial. Just, you know, you got to bear with me for a bit. Um, as for the effects on the table, well, Liverpool didn't really do much. They're still in seventh. Sunderland are breathing down the next, though, only two points behind. And, um, it's like one goal ahead on goal difference. However, Liverpool have a game in hand, and we'll be coming to that at the end. Um, next match then, Wolves against Blackburn. Junior Hoylett scored a fine brace as Blackburn climbed out of the relegation zone to leave Wolves languishing one place off the bottom. Home fans stated a protest against Chief Executive Jez Moxley's handling of the appointment of Terry Connor before kickoff, and then saw a poor showing. Hoylett opened the scoring when he controlled the half volley superbly to fire it into the far corner and the Canadian wrapped up the victory with a 25-yard drive after the break. The defeat leaves Wolves in 19th, with one win in their last 14, after a tense display typical of a side short of confidence. Banners were unfilled outside the main entrance at Molyneux before the game, as fans made their anger clear over the decision to appoint Connor as the man to replace Mick McCarthy last month. Steve Bruce... Steve Bruce, rather, Alan Kerbersley and Reading boss Brian McDermott were all interviewed for the post before former assistant Connor was handed the job until the end of the season. To the credit, the home fans remained largely supportive during the match, despite Connor's side's fragmented display, in which they barely threatened the fragile Blackburn defence. Rovers had not kept a clean sheet <coughs> excuse me, in the Premier League for 30 games, a run stretching back to April 2011. Paul Robinson only had to make one real save in the 90 minutes where he easily denied Stephen Fletcher. Fletcher, rather. Wolves defended abysmally and were thumped, rather, thumped, 5-0 by Fulham last weekend. And while the return of on-loan Tottenham man Sebastian Basson to the back four saw a slight improvement, they were again at fault as the dangerous Hoylet opened the scoring just before the break. Morton Gams-Pedersen's hailed, sorry, Morton Gams-Pedersen hailed a long throw into the area, Wolves Premier League debutant David Davis could only flick on towards his own goal and Hoylett was afforded far too much space to aerobatically drive a half volley into the far corner. Connor side made a brighter start to the second period as Matt Jarvis crossed for Fletcher to fire at Robinson but uh, they continued their habit of conceding possession cheaply and were punished when Hoylett drove in the second from Yakubu's break down the left. Hoylett, who looks likely to leave Evil Park this summer, collected the striker's pass skip past Jamie O'Hara and draw the left-footed shot beyond the reach of Wayne Hennessy into the net. Well, substitute Naynad Miliash should have hit the target from another decent Jarvis cross in the final few minutes, but Rovers boss Steve Keane was able to save her first away win since beating Man United on New Year's Eve. Right, so, the table. Blackburn are up to 16th. Definitely on 25 points, two ahead of Bolton in 17th, definitely the most comfortable out of the five in the danger zone. Wolves are the 19th, and they're going to have a lot of work to do if they're going to want to try and get out of that slump. It's definitely between any of those bottom five for relegation now. I do the thought that out of the three promoted teams, QPR would be the ones who were in the dogfight. You could say the Swansea are possibly in there too, but they're well above the uh, points tally that the bottom five have. Okay, so now we go to Merseyside. Goodison Park to be exact. Everton against Tottenham. The late kickoff from Saturday. Nikita Jelovic scored his first goal for Everton as David Moyes celebrated his upcoming 10-year anniversary in charge by beating Tottenham. On his full debut, Jelovic's first-time shot squeezed past Brad Friedel after Leon Osman's clever cutback. 
Breedle also saved the striker's free kick, while Van der Vaart and Louis Saha hit the woodwork for Spurs. The Londoners improved after the break, but have now lost three Premier League games in a row. The last time that happened, former boss Juan de Ramos was replaced by current manager Harry Redknapp. That was back in October 2008. And after an encouraging season so far, during which Tottenham have been considered Premier League title contenders, this performance was evidence that they have a job on their hands to stay in the top four. When the two sides met previously on the 11th of January, a Spurs win elevated them to within three points at the summit. But since then, they've only registered two wins from eight league matches. For Everton, though, this extends their unbeaten run to nine matches, following that defeat at White Hart Lane, and with Liverpool losing a Sunderland, the blue half of the city will be relishing Tuesday's Merseyside derby. Moyes will be in his post as Everton manager for ten years today after that game, and with speculation that he might take over from Redknapp, should the 64-year-old be offered the England job, it was a timely reminder of the Scots' ability to engineer a hard-working, effective team on limited resources. Spurs, who have spent heavily in recent seasons, have suffered a dip in form, which has coincided with Redknapp being tipped to replace Fabio Capello. His team of star names, with former Everton striker Sahar on the bench, failed to create much during the break as the hosts took advantage of a visitor's deep midfield, which had Sandro sitting alongside Scott Parker. In fact, it took 20 minutes before there was a meaningful chance, with Friedel shaving, saving Marouin Fellaini's angled shot. But not long after the American keeper had warmed his hands, he was picking the ball out of his net. Leighton Baines found Osman on the inside left channel and the midfielder's first touch took it past Jonas Cabal before he cleverly cut the ball back for Jelovic to side for in from 10 yards. The former Rangers player also tested Friedel with a free kick but it was only after the goal that Rennap's side came into life and it took until the second half before Tim Howard had anything to concern him with Jermaine Defoe twice firing in low shots. Sahar came on to replace Emmanuel Adebayor early in the second period, with Redknapp having dismissed talk of a gentleman's agreement between the two managers that he would not play. And the change came during an upsurge for Tottenham as Luka Modric fired over, and soon after, Sahar's effort was blocked by Sylvan Distance's face. Outside of Osman's breakaway, Everton rarely threatened them once Van der Vaart replaced Sandro, Redknapp had his full range of resources on the pitch. Defoe had the ball in the net but was rightly ruled off for offside, and Van der Vaart hit the bar late on. Sahar then almost earned a point in the dying stages when he hit the post from close range, but Everton hung on, allowing Moyes to reflect that Jelovic is already proving an able replacement. So um, Tottenham are starting to uh, suffer a bit of a dip, and if they want to stay in the Champions League positions and you are being contention for Europe, they're going to have to get their act together fast. As for Everton, great results and it's putting them right back in the hunts for um, an outside chance of qualifying for Europe themselves in fact let's have a look at the table Tottenham are still in third but with Arsenal only four points behind um, breathing space is going to be very tough as for Everton they are up to ninth uh, level on points with Sunderland two points behind Liverpool with that Merseyside derby coming up on Tuesday it's going to be extremely interesting because if Everton can pull off a victory, they'll actually leapfrog Liverpool and go to 7th place themselves. Alright, so moving on, we'll go to the Sunday fixtures, starting at Old Trafford. Man United against West Brom. Man United went top of the Premier League with two goals from Wayne Rooney, sealing victory. United took advantage of Man City's 1-0 defeat at Swansea, which is what we're covering next, as they went a point clear of their neighbours. Rooney gave United a 1-0 lead after the break, diverting uh, Chicharito's shot past Ben Foster on the volley. The United striker then made it 2-0 from the penalty spot, while West Brom's Jonas Olsen was earlier sent off for a second bookable offence. It was a deserved win for United, who should have added to their tally in the second half. 
Victory took United to the top of the Premier League for the first time since early October, and with 10 games remaining, they will be the favourites to claim their 20th league title following City's unexpected slip. They head to Wolves next Sunday, knowing a win would take them four points clear to City, who do not play again in the Premier League until Wednesday week after against Chelsea. Excuse me. Manchester Alex Ferguson used his programme notes to rally both United players and supporters as his side entered the business end of the campaign. And Ferguson picked a side full of attacking intent with Rooney, Danny Welbeck and Hernandez all named in the starting lineup. But their start to the game was turgid and lacklustre, with West Brom the better of the two sides early on. Keith Andrews poked the ball well, wide rather, at full stretch following Liam Ridgewell's cross and later forced a fine low save from David De Gea. But the champions soon got going with Paul Scholes finding space to orchestrate things from midfield and in Ashley Young, United had the game's outstanding player. The pressure eventually told with Rooney breaking the deadlock, United's informed striker gambled at the near post and expertly diverted Hernandez's shot past Foster on the volley from six yards out. It was Rooney's 25th goal of the season and his 14th in as many games and gave them a deserved lead at the break. West Brom began the second half like the first, full of intent and were, unlikely, and were unlucky rather not to have been awarded a penalty after Patrice Everett stripped a piece on them wingy in the box. Referee Lee Probert waved away the, their appeals rather and replays suggested that the baggies man may have gone to ground too easily. Straight after, United nearly doubled their advantage with Hernandez crash a fierce shot from the edge of the box against the post before West Brom cleared for a corner. From the resulting corner, Lo- Looney, Rooney went close with his adventurous overhead kick straight at Foster. United's presser continued and Welbeck should have put them 2-0 up, but after rounding Foster, he inexplicably fired wide of an empty goal from a tight angle. West Brom's task became that much harder when Olsen showed a second yellow for a lunge on Hernandez meaning the Baggies had to play with 10 men for the remaining 25 minutes. Young continued to terrorise the Baggies' defence and he was bundled over by Andrews for a United penalty, which Rooney converted for 2-0. With the game won, United introduced highly rated youngster Paul Pogba, 18 for Skulls, and provided an interesting sideshow for the remaining 20 minutes as Pogba has been linked with a summer move to Juventus. The Baggies brought on Shane Long and he forced an excellent save from De Gea, while at the other end Young headed wide from 12 yards. But stayed at 2-0 with the biggest cheer of the day reserving the announcement of Swansea's shock victory over Man City. Roy Hodgson said after the game, made a good first, sorry, We made a good fist of the first half until Rooney's goal. I don't think, didn't think we were attacking as well as we could do in that period when we won the ball back. We lost it too quickly and easily. Alright, so what does that mean? Well, for West Brom, they're not in any immediate danger. They're 14th and to be honest with 10 games left to go they're probably likely to stay near and about the mid to the lower half of the table uh, Man United though um, one point ahead of Man City they've gone to the top of the table um, and it's going to be an extremely interesting running now in fact let's have a look at the remaining games Man United have a trip to Wolves followed by a home match against Fulham then Blackburn away QPR at home Wigan away Aston Villa at home then Everton at home Man City away, Swansea at home, and Sunderland away. As for City, they have Chelsea at home next, then Stoke away, Sunderland at home, followed by a trip to Arsenal, followed by West Brom at home, Norwich away, Wolves away, then the Manchester Derby at Eastlands on the 30th of April, Newcastle away, and they finish their season at home to QPR. It's going to be extremely interesting to see how that run goes. Will United make it 20 or will City finally break the um, 
top three uh, dynasty on the uh, Premier League title. Well, anyway, well, it's unfair to say top three. We should be saying top four because Blackburn have won the Premier League as well. Right, well, anyway, next match, Swansea-Man City. Man City lost their Premier League lead for the first time in five months as their title hopes were dented by a superb Swansea City. Unmarked sub, Luke Moore headed the host winner inside the final seven minutes as he guided in Wayne Routledge's pinpoint right-wing cross. Man City, who dropped a point behind rivals Man United following the Red Devils win over West Brom, did have a late Micah Richards goal and ruled out for offside in a dramatic final few minutes. Swansea could have won more comfortably, visiting keeper Joe Hart saving Scott Sinclair's early penalty. But the Welsh side will settle for a single goal victory against the league leaders that will rank alongside their January triumph over Arsenal as one of the most famous results in their 100 year history. More importantly, it edges Swansea closer to Premier League survival having reached the tally of 36 points and would have seen them retain their top flight status in 10 of the last 13 seasons. But as much as Swansea celebrate, Roberto Mancini's men will feel frustration at having squandered their top of the table berth of a below par performance. The visitors were dominated for the majority of the first half, and Routledge had already blasted a close-range shot over Hart's crossbar when the Swansea winger won a penalty after being brought down in the penalty area inside of five minutes. Hart was penalised, but he immediately made amends. The England keeper's diving to his right to save Sinclair's weak spot kick. It was the first time Sinclair had missed a penalty in 14 attempts, but the England under-21 winger did not look confident as he slid the ball too close to Hart. Routledge replacing um, the suspended Nathan Dyer was again proving the main tormentor. He tested Hart's reaction with a flicking corner goalwards from close range, only for the England keeper to gather with consummate ease. Swansea's top scorer Danny Graham then turns to shoot with Sigurdsson's incisive pass wide as the host continued to dominate territory and possession against the Man City side, feeling the effects of their midweek Europa League defeat in Porto. Mancini said before the game he wanted the side to break Chelsea's title-winning points record of 95, set in 2005. But they were restricted to half chances against a side that have also taken points off Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur at the Liberty Stadium this season. Yaya Toure fumbled as he enjoyed the rare sight of Swansea's goal. David Silva fired harmlessly wide and Mario Balotelli summed up the visitors' frustrations with an enigmatic, sorry, Wendy enigmatic Italian tried his luck from virtually the halfway line with a wayward effort. Mancini even went to the lengths of making his first half tactical substitution as £35 million striker Sergio Aguero was introduced in place of Gareth Barry in an effort to spark the Man City side into life. But it was to no avail as Swansea continued to create chances and Graham's low driven ball across the six yard box should have been tapped in by Joe Allen but the Swansea midfielder failed to connect and it was cleared by Colo Torre, captain for the day in Vincent Company's absence. The visitors had the penalty appeal waved away by referee Lee Mason after Balotelli went down under a challenge by Allen he did not appear to be touched by the Wales midfielder and, in any case, he fell outside the area. But with virtually his first touch of the game after replacing Graham Moore, um, he claimed victory when he headed his only, only his second league goal of the season at the far post. Yeah, it doesn't mention who it was. <laughs> Mancini's men responded by having a snapshot well saved by Swans keeper Michael Vaughan. Richard had an effort disallowed by assistant referee C.R. Massey for offside. And Swansea kept out the late bombardment to claim not only a famous scalp, but almost certainly their Premier League status too with 10 games left. Um, so, an absolutely amazing result for Swansea, but the Man City title surge has hit a serious um, 
bump in the road and the interesting thing to see now is will they be able to recover looks like that Manchester derby in April is going to be the title decider it's going to be extremely close but uh, excuse me but rather we have one match left to cover and it is Norwich against Wigan struggling Wigan dominated Norwich at Carroll Road but were forced to settle for a point in an entertaining contest Norwich took an early lead through Wes Houlihan, who volleyed in from close range from Simon Jackson's cross. But the Canaries were forced to retreat for much of the game, and the Latics eventually grabbed an equaliser when Victor Moses rounded John Ruddy. Substitute Mohamed Diame should have earned Wigan a, a late winner, but spared two golden chances. And that's about it, because the game only finished a couple of minutes ago. So, the effects on the table. Norwich are in 12th place. But are coming close to um, only three points behind Liverpool in seventh. Wigan are still rooted at the bottom, but they're only one point behind Wolves and QPR. So a win could take them out of the bottom three under the right circumstances. Again, it's still extremely close to call as far as the table goes. And with um, excuse me, and with Newcastle and Arsenal still left to play. Well, I think Arsenal. Yeah, Newcastle yet to play Arsenal. That's coming up tomorrow. And the Merseyside Derby coming up on Tuesday. The tables get a lot very interesting by Wednesday. Um, again, sorry we can't be too comprehensive here, but you know there's still matches that have yet to be played. Um, so we'll just finish off again by announcing what the match of the week was this week. And so far as drama thrills go, you've got to give it to Swansea Man City. I'm sorry, but there's some of the play being shown there was absolute quality um, excuse me we'll also give a special mention to the 2-1 match between Bolton and QPR for its controversial decision that's probably the reason why that one's going to stick out in the consciousness but it's not re- they weren't really groundbreaking in terms of the results more things that happened and their consequences which is why Swansea's win against Man City was probably the biggest shock out of the lot of them. And that was a mistake. It was meant to say Man City. So yeah, Swansea Man City is the match of the week. And we have reached the end of this week's edition of the Premier League show. Part of the Premiership Radio Podcast. Wednesday is going to be tackling the issues. And this week we're going to be taking a look at goal line technology. Ever since that QPR match, that's going to be high on the public conscience. We're going to look into the background of goal line technology. And see whether or not it would actually work in the game. And how FIFA and the FA and UEFA have tried to come up with alternatives, whether or not they're feasible. Well, that's then. This is now. And now we've reached the end of the Premier League show. So, don't forget to listen. You can now subscribe via iTunes by going to the SoundCloud page. There'll be more descriptions on that later. But until then, thanks for listening. And we'll see you on Wednesday.